If Jesus Christ would come, I wouldn't need to preach a sermon like I need to preach this morning. Because we'd be out of this place. Please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. I read this in the 15th verse. Good understanding giveth favor. But the way of transgressors is hard. Good understanding giveth favor. But the way of transgressors is hard. Good understanding is the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The man who fears God and lives a life with that good understanding that comes from the fear of the Lord has favor. But the way of transgressors is hard. This morning I want to teach all of you and preach to all of you and warn all of you. And yes, it's a sermon of warning on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ on how difficult your lives are going to be if you want to play with carnal Christianity. Right. I hear this question asked. How could that happen? How could someone sin like that? Why is there so much trouble? Why is there so much pain? Why are there so many difficulties? Why does it happen to Christians? Why are Christian families dysfunctional at times? Why are Christian marriages unhappy at times? Why? Why? The answer is not difficult at all. The answer is simple, and the answer is one. It's sin, but I'm dealing with Christians and sin, so I'm dealing with carnal Christianity. Christians who come in and take seats in the house of God. Christians who, if they were filling out an application, would say they were a Christian. Christians who say they believe there is a God. Christians who say they believe the Bible is the Word of God, but who yet want to live enjoying some of this world's things. You are going to have a miserable life. I promise you. I'm here to warn you on the behalf of Jesus Christ. This is my job, and it is your job this morning to pay attention. Not to me, to his word. The way of transgressors is hard. That's the warning from the word of God. That's what I want you to remember beginning this sermon. The way of transgressors is hard. If you want to play around with your television... If you want to play around with your reading material, if you want to play around with your friends, if you want to play around by putting an undue emphasis on physical activity and exercise, sports and other amusements of our society, you're going to reap the results, and the results are going to be painful. I promise you. You ignore my warnings today at your own peril. And at some point... A minister, when he's made the warnings enough, when it does happen, there's going to be less compassion. 
Because that's the way the Lord deals with His children. He tells us in Proverbs chapter 1 that because when I called, when I warned, when I taught, you wouldn't heed my instruction. Therefore, when your calamity comes, I will laugh. I will mock when your fear cometh. And brethren, it's coming, and I'm not talking about the great day of judgment. I'm talking about our lives. If we want to play with sin, we are going to have a hard life. Every one of you young people, you cannot get away with playing with sin. You cannot get away with coming in here, pretending that you're one of us, and yet going out thinking that you can have fun in the world. God is going to chase you down and crush you. The way of transgressors is hard. No one escapes this, because it's not Jonathan Crosby's rule. This is the rule of the Lord God Almighty. I want to tell you about a man. I want to tell you about a successful man. I want to tell you about a man that lived in a house with a three-car garage, many hundreds, yea, even thousands of square feet, the finest clothing. He was a successful man. He was in the prime of life. He was in his 50s, the prime of life, successful, intelligent, well-known in his city, had achieved things professionally. He sat on city council. He was well-known. He had a wonderful family, five daughters God had given him. No sons, but he was so thankful for the daughters that God had given him. He was successful, and he went to a Baptist church that believed the King James Bible was the Word of God and that the living God of heaven was the only true God and that salvation was by grace alone and that most of the world is confused about Bible prophecy. He went there every Sunday. He drove to that little assembly in his fine automobile where all the carnal Christians could look at him and admire him for his accomplishments in the world. And he wore a fine suit to sit in that assembly. He was even a deacon of that church. He was well-mannered. He was intelligent. When people needed help, he could give help. When they needed money, he could loan money. He was a good Christian. In the sense of the world. He had a wife that was known for her charitable contributions because he was successful. But I want to tell you something about that man. One day that man is found staring off into space, sullen, morose, sad, disillusioned, frustrated, hopeless, helpless. He can't believe what's happened. He cannot believe what has happened. He is sitting in a cave, and he is staring out into space. His wife, whom he had loved and had a happy, natural relationship with, is down there in the valley, a pillar of salt. His three daughters with their sons are ashes on the plain of Jordan, where once stood the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's got two daughters behind him in the cave who over the last two nights got him drunk with wine and slept with him and have in their wombs two nations that are going to be the scourge of God's people 
for the next thousand years. The way of transgressors is hard. But oh, what a pretty life he had, brethren. He sat on city council. He drove a fine car. He played tennis at the health club. He was well known wherever he went and he even went to church. But brethren, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And then he went and lived in Sodom. And then when it came time to get serious for God, his sons-in-law and his daughters laughed at him and thought it was an entire joke that he would come and tell them that it was time to get serious for God. And his wife, whom he had hauled along to church with him for about 25 years, couldn't even obey God long enough to escape to the mountains. She had to turn around and look back and became a pillar of salt. And his two daughters that he had exposed to television during the week, in addition to taking them to church on Sunday, slept with him in that cave because they thought that life was hopeless and they needed to have a baby. That's the example God gives. I'm not very good at reading McKnight's sermon illustrations and bringing you little stories from the Civil War. I want to bring you examples from the Word of God. I want to tell you something about that man. That man had every chance and every opportunity and every privilege and every blessing to be equal to Abraham. That man knew the God of Abraham. He had companied with Abraham. He had been called out by blessing. Do you know the blessing that it was for that nephew to have been picked by Abraham to accompany him out of the land of the Chaldeans and come into Canaan? Is that a blessing? Amen. Do you know how many relatives were left back in the land of the Chaldeans? What happened to him? He pitched his tent towards Sodom. I'm here to warn you again this morning that if you want to play around with sin in any way, in any form, a sin of the heart, a sin of the mind, a sin of the television, the sin, a sin of anything, if you want to play with it, your way is going to be hard. I promise you that pain is coming. Most of you are parents with little children. Listen. Even a numbskull could keep 40 little children in the way of righteousness. Wait until your children are grown. All five of Lot's daughters went to church with him every Sunday. Wait till they're grown and the heartache that is going to come home and haunt you for thinking that you can sit there and listen to me and think that I'm just some wild preacher who can't get off this subject of hating sin. It's going to come home to haunt you. And I'm sort of sorry for this, but I'm going to rejoice in God humbling you for your wicked rebellion in listening to me but not paying attention. It's happened already. It's happening right now. It's happening to people in this assembly. Some of you have troubles and fears and worries in your life, and it's very simple. There's one answer, and there's only one. It's because you've played with sin. If you will not play with sin, you are going to give your family the greatest opportunity of total success, and you're going to have the Lord on your side at whatever circumstances he may bring you. And you can smile and laugh all the way through them, even if you're in a dungeon of a prison like the Apostle Paul was because his heart was right with God. 
you it's a win-win situation following the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It is a lose-lose situation sitting in here and playing with sin and disregarding my warnings to you. Brethren, the greatest enemy of your soul and mine and of our families is having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. That's the warning of the perilous times. It galls me and irritates me every time I hear anyone talking about a stupid political conspiracy. Every syllable is a waste of life. That is not our enemy. If this country were to be taken over by enemies of the church of Jesus Christ and persecute us, it would be to our spiritual profit. That is not an enemy. There is no enemy in Washington. There is no enemy in Brussels, Belgium. There is no enemy on the waterfront in the United Nations Tower. There is no enemy there. There is no enemy in Moscow. There is no enemy in Havana. That's a joke. They're all little boys still playing Boy Scouts. Because the real enemy is carnal Christianity. It's saying, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, I believe in the Bible, but then not hating sin enough, and not eradicating it, destroying it, tearing it, ripping it out of your life. Because those little sins are going to destroy you. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. And brethren, there was a day when he sat in the opening of that cave, and he looked out hopeless. His life was, did you hear what I described? That is a testimony in the Word of God. And that man had a righteous soul. The Bible says he was a just man. He was a righteous man. He was one of God's elect. Look what happened to his life. He had all the opportunities that Abraham had. Except he was younger. He could have accomplished more. Say what you wish. He looked out hopeless one day, his soul sick, his heart sick, because of all that had gone wrong in his family, and he was responsible. We waste our time chasing little windmills. I wish everyone knew the story of Don Quixote, because I don't want to tell it. But anyway, it's a man who fought, he was a knight, who jousted with a windmill because he mistook it for an enemy. It's a joke. It's to teach us that we should identify our real enemies before we get into a fight and not waste effort and time. And it's sin, brethren. It's carnal Christianity. Paul warned that in the last days, perilous times were coming. And I, and I know I, I know that I've said it. My memory's as good as yours about what I've preached. I know that I've made this warning before. But it's not famine, and it's not depression, and it's not political upheaval, and it's not conspiracies, and it's not a one-world government. Who cares about a one-world government? You're not going to stop it. You're not going to dent it. You're not going to slow it down for one half nanosecond. Not if you all got together and everybody signed petitions. Are you going to slow it down for one half nanosecond? If you all got together and put a year's worth of food in a cave with M16s, you're not going to slow it down for one half nanosecond. It's going to happen. God's in charge of that. Never once did he waste one sentence in Scripture for us to waste our time chasing such foolish enemies. And the ones that chase them show by their lives they don't have the real matters under control. 
It is our job to get the real matters under control, and that is the spiritually mindedness of our families and of our own hearts first. And I address fathers first, then mothers, then children. We have got to be spiritually minded. We have got to hate sin and love righteousness or our way is going to be hard. And you're going to sit at the mouth of a cave looking out wondering what's gone wrong. Well, I'm here to tell you something. And it's not a secret, but it may be a secret to you. I know the cause. And it's one. Isn't that nice when you can focus all your energies on one thing? It's sin. And it's playing with sin. It's playing with little sins. It's playing with modest sins. It's playing with secret sins. It's playing with not quite so bad as the other guy sins. It's going to destroy you. The way of transgressors is hard. You'll have your day in the mouth of the cave. I promise you on the authority of God's word. All of you parents with young children right now, you better be taking heed to what I'm telling you. Obviously, I'm a few years ahead of you. And brethren, I've made this mistake. And as your pastor, I'm ashamed to say it, but I'm not ashamed to open my mouth and say it. I've made this mistake. I'm not making it again. And I'm going to try to keep you from making it. And I can get as detailed as you want. I can trace everything back in a very certain definite path of a descent into carnal Christianity that has led to a great number of problems. Yes, he is. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that he didn't let me keep going. All you have to do is listen to every one of your conversations. Yes, I want everybody on their toes and be and thinking about everyone else. Do you know why we have an assembly? It's not for me. Tapes would work better. I don't like crowds. I'd be happy to send you out emails every single day. The reason we assemble is for all of us to take care for each other right. and to encourage and to exhort and to provoke one another. That's the purpose of the New Testament church. But, brethren, I want to tell you that there are in this assembly those that you can listen to that you'll never hear a spiritual thought come out of their mouths. They're always talking about carnal things, hobbies, jobs, projects, politics, anything outside the realm of importance. Even in our own assembly. The reason I say that is for us all to be on our lookout for them, to help them, to encourage them, to warn them that those matters don't count, and for all of us to be exhorting and encouraging each other to stay fervently hot about the matters that do count. Yes, I'm talking about being very holy. I'm talking about cutting out as much sin of our lives as possible. Yes, I'm talking about looking a little strange. Did you know the Bible says we better look strange, and if we're not, we're not saints? The Bible says that if we're living properly, in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says that the rest of the world's going to think you strange because you're not living the same way they are. If you're not looking strange, if your young people don't look strange, if they're not cut off from the activities of the other young people their age, then we're not living as saints. Here's the deal. Of course, I know that some of your minds are saying, Why does he want to push us so far toward holiness? Here's the deal I'll make. When this church gets too holy, or when you get too holy, I'll preach a little on the profit of a few sins in your life to keep you in balance. Is that fair? As soon as we get too holy, I'll preach on a few small sins 
for you all to have so that we can stay balanced? There is no balance. Where in the word of God is there any statement about balance? I hear somebody say, let all, uh, let all things be done in, mo- let your moderation be known unto all men. And they think that moderation means moderation in righteousness. Isn't it incredible how men can twist the Bible? That moderation is self-discipline. It's the very opposite of what you're thinking that it's teaching. It says, let your self-discipline be known unto all men. Let your temperance be known unto all men. Let your ability to rule and govern your life be known unto all men. Do you know what that is? It's the opposite of what you're trying to use that verse for. My, don't do that with me. When we get too holy, I'll take care of it by preaching a few small sins. Don't wait for it. Don't wait for it. Brethren, let's look at Romans chapter 12. This sermon is so simple, but it's a warning. I want you to think about Lot at the mouth of a cave. The morning after, brethren. The morning after. He didn't care much about his suit then. He didn't care much about his title at the company that he worked at. He didn't care that his house had a three-car garage. Yes, each stall with its own automatic door opener. Yes. He didn't worry about any of those things. He was crushed and overwhelmed with the complete loss of his family. He was crushed and overwhelmed with the complete loss of those that God had given him to lead in the worship of God. He was crushed at the sin that had so infected his life that he was left hopeless, helpless, with two pregnant daughters by himself sitting behind him in the mouth of a cave with the rest of his family dead. It's coming. Some of you are partly partly there toward the mouth of the cave. Some of you think you've been there and looked out. It's going to get worse unless you humble yourself and repent. I warn all of you little mothers who love your little children, you better not play with sin. I know that television is such a good babysitter, isn't it? When you get tired of the little children and you want to turn the television on and let it babysit them, it's going to babysit them right into hell. And as it takes them into hell, it's going to take your soul there also because the way of transgressors is hard and you've been warned. Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. This is what I'm doing to you this morning. I'm beseeching you, brethren. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies, this is Romans 12, verse 1, a living sacrifice. The world doesn't want you to make a sacrifice. The world wants to tell you that no sacrifices should be made because everything is at your disposal in this country. You can have anything you want. Why wait? Why follow the rules? Why pay cash for it? You can charge it. And I'm not even talking about financial things. I'm talking about sin. Why wait for marriage? Why be true to a marriage? Just take whatever you want. We've got it all. Satisfy your lust. Be happy. Take. Enjoy. The Bible calls life a sacrifice. I want to tell you something. If you'll make the sacrifice now, there's going to be a great reward later that will blow the sacrifice completely out of your mind. But I want to tell you something beyond. You already know that. There's a heaven waiting for those that will make the sacrifice. I want to tell you something else. If you'll make the sacrifice, you're going to change, you're going to save yourself from a broken heart. Now, the way of transgressors is hard. 
every one of you that are sorrowful in your marriage, irritated and bitter with some of your children, frustrated with your life, unhappy, discontent, disillusioned, frustrated. Somewhere you've been playing with sin. It's a promise. I'm going to preach on one of those sins tonight. A sin of the heart. But right now I want to warn you that the way of transgressors is hard. Paul says to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I've preached this verse before. It's only a reasonable service. God is not asking something extraordinary. He's not asking something unreasonable. It's very reasonable. And all he's asking is for us to live a holy life, to make a sacrifice. Are you willing to cut things off out of your life that would lead you toward sin, that are sin, that would tempt you toward sin? Are you willing and ready, and are you cutting them all off? If you don't cut them off, that's what I'm talking about. You're pitching your tent toward Sodom. You're going to have your day in the mouth of the cave. This is what he's asking us to do. This is acceptable unto God. This is the only way to please God. You do not please God by walking into an assembly and sitting down in a fine suit with a fine car in the parking lot and thinking that you're some piece of success. What? Godliness with contentment is great success. There's no other definition except the lies of hell. Godliness with contentment. And godliness is not walking in here thinking you've achieved something because of a title or because of a house or because of a big family that's well-dressed. Success is godliness. How much do you like God? How much are you living according to God's standards? How much do you enjoy talking about God? How much do you sing His praise? How full is your heart with laughter, singing, and love for God? That's godliness. We are not to be conformed to this world. We need to be making efforts in our families and in our own souls, in our practices, our conduct, not to be conformed. We're not to be forming our lives after them. Everybody wants to follow the world. There's a fashion trend to follow. There's sports trends to follow. There's reading and television trends. There's all entertainment trends. But we're not to be following those trends. We're not to conform to their road. We're to be transformed. We're to be different. We have to be different. The way of transgressors is hard. I'm warning you right now. You're hearing the warning. To whom much is given, much shall be required. Ignore me at your own peril. We're to mortify our flesh and all of its sinful lusts. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 says to mortify them. That means to put them to death. A mortician is someone who deals with dead bodies. And we're to take our lusts that like the things of the world, that like their entertainment, that like their music, that like their actors and actresses and all that stuff and hate it and kill it. We have within us a desire to like those things because those things are designed by Satan who knows our heart. And so we have that enemy out there working with our heart and Satan manipulating the two all the time to get us. And we're to cut off those things and kill them. Put them to death. I'm warning, I'm warning you. It's so easy to take little children and get them all dressed. I don't care how many of them there are. You could take 40, 
line them up, give them a bath, put nice clothes on them, and bring them to church. What a wonderful family. Isn't it precious? Isn't it precious? Lot did that with five daughters. They looked so good on Sundays. They were so well-mannered, so polite, so well-schooled, so well-educated. They all got their degrees. But none of them feared God from their heart. They had a form of godliness. They came to church on Sundays to believe the King James Bible, that baptism was by immersion only, and that most ideas on Bible prophecy today were foolish inventions. But they were carnal, and God judged them. And it left the father of that whole family of ten sitting there in hopeless despair. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 with me. 2 Corinthians 7. I don't know how to say it any better. I don't know how to warn you any better. Except to keep repeating myself every few weeks. What in the world was did the Apostle Paul mean when he told us that perilous times were coming? What does, what does peril mean to you? A peril, perilous seas are what the Titanic ran into. 1,500 people drowned. Perilous times. A peril is something that you should be afraid of. It's going to hurt badly. It's dangerous. Perilous times. What is a truly perilous time? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And I do not want you to misunderstand that. It doesn't mean that they have a form of godliness, but won't admit that God created. That's not the power under consideration. The power is God's authority to tell you what you can watch, read, think about, say, and do with your life. That is the authority. Those are perilous times. What a waste to ever one sentence waste on any political conspiracy. You haven't slowed it down one bit. You aren't going to slow it down because it's all in God's hands. God's never called us to waste our time on it. Never. Not one sentence in the Bible. We're to honor that conspiracy because it is the authority that God put over our country. That's enough on that subject. It's just a waste of time. And you watch people off beating themselves to death with a windmill. Just keeps going around. And he thinks the knight keeps getting back up on his horse. And it's just a windmill. I'm going to tell you something that's not a windmill. It's sin. And it's Satan behind that sin that is out to get your souls and to destroy you. Look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. I read, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved... Paul is warning us again, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Can we be perfectly holy in body, soul, mind, spirit, all of it? Every aspect of our existence, can we be perfectly holy? Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I don't see Paul worried about us becoming too holy. And it says, having these promises, dearly beloved. Do you know what the promises are? That if you will do verse 16 and 17, then he'll do verse 18 of the previous chapter. What, What should we do? Verse 16. 
Well, no, that's his promise. The, the last half of verse 16 is, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What do we do? Verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And here's his promise again. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God will be our God. We will be his people. He will be our father, and we will be his children. These are his great and precious promises, and they're conditioned upon us, coming out from among them and being separate and touching not the unclean thing. And that's not a new social program at the local public school. Touching the unclean thing is the sin of darkness and Belial and the fellowship with idols that's described there in the context, brethren. We're to come out and not even touch the world and to cleanse ourselves, wash ourselves, clean it out of our lives every bit of the filthiness of the flesh and spirit and perfect holiness. The way of transgressors is hard. If you want to play with sin, it's going to break down your inhibitions against evil. It's going to dull your zeal for Christ. It's going to sear your conscience. It's going to harden your heart. And you won't even know as you're slipping further and further into sin, you will not even know it. Because it will take away your sensitivity, your spiritual sensitivity to sin and your relationship with God. And you'll just keep going further and further and you will not know it. The only hope of your salvation, other than a direct intervention by God himself, is to hear this sermon right now and to repent. Amen. You can sit there smugly, but there's a God in heaven who sees your smug little smile and your smug little heart, thinking that you can get away by not living a holy life, and he is going to get the last laugh. Amen. And he tells us that it will be a laugh. The way of transgressors is hard. Every father in here better be listening to me. You play with sin, it's going to harden, and tr harden you into a cold, uninterested attitude towards spiritual things. Then you'll think that we're all nuts. Sin lies. Sin deceives us into thinking that it brings happiness, fulfillment, purpose, and profit, and that if you weren't to have a little bit in your life, life would be totally boring. That's because you haven't sold yourself out to Jesus Christ. I've made this point before. If you do not sell out, the Lord is not going to let you have any spiritual happiness. You've got to sell out. You've got to be fully committed. If you're in the flesh saying, Oh, it looks so boring over there across this chasm, living a life for Christ, cutting out all these little games I've been playing, cutting out the flesh, getting up in the morning and reading my Bible, coming home from work and reading my Bible, reading my Bible on my lunch break. That just sounds so boring because you're on the wrong side of the chasm, brethren. The Lord isn't going to let you see the light of day over there except the light that you're getting right now. And if you turn off what I'm saying to you, then suffer the consequences. If you'll cast yourself upon him and run across that chasm and just embrace a spiritual existence with God, he will bless you with great peace and joy and happiness in the doing of it. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Now I listen to that song all through the week. Anyone else here listen to it? The chorus, too small a price. The chorus says, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Jesus is the Lord of all. Anybody listen? To, wow. 
Nobody's even listening to music like that. Well, we've got a problem to get started here then. Is Jesus Christ Lord? Amen. Is he really Lord? Yeah. Is that just something we say at church? Or is he Lord of your television? Is he Lord of your entertainment? Is he Lord of your time? Is he Lord of your tongue? Is he Lord of your marriage? Is he Lord of your marriage bed? Is he Lord of your children? Is he Lord of your educational efforts with your children? Is he Lord of your reading? Is he Lord of your thinking? Is he Lord? Is he Lord of your music? Is he Lord of your place of employment? Is he Lord of your relationship with the people at your place of employment? Is he Lord of the hours you keep? Is he Lord? Jesus Christ is Lord. And we must humble ourselves before him and give him all those things and all the ones I didn't list. That's the only way we can truly make him Lord, is to fall at his feet and say, all is yours. Use me, take me, make me, break me. I'm all yours. That's what Saul of Tarsus did. It didn't take long, did it? Three days later, he's preaching away in Damascus. What a change. How did it all happen so fast? Because he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And you know what he's asking you to do? He's not asking you to go into Damascus and take on all the Jews and convince them that Jesus is the Christ and then have them beat the snot out of you about five times with whips, about three times with rods, stone you a couple times, leave you for dead, and get dropped in the Mediterranean Sea twice from a shipwreck. That's half of what happened to him. The other half you can read about in 2 Corinthians 11. He isn't asking you to do that. Do you know what he's asking you to do? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Cut sin out of your life. Right. Where are you playing with it? Where are you playing with it? Is it the internet? Is it magazines? Is it reading? Is it television? Is it friends? Is it your thought life? Is it you don't read anymore? You don't pray anymore? You don't, you don't make prayer and reading the most important part of your life? Your love of God? What is it? If you're playing, you're going to wake up in the mouth of a cave. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Is he Lord of all that's in your life? This past week, I, it was actually a week ago, I, was, I did a little bit of reading on the Reformed churches that came out of the Netherlands. The Dutch Reformed Church, the Protestant Reformed Church, the Netherland Reformed congregations. They have an interesting little expression for their view of the world, for the world and them. They call it the antithesis. I love that. Do you know what antithesis means? They're opposites. The antithesis, the world and us, they're opposites. The world is the antithesis of us, and we must be the antithesis of the world. Christianity is the antithesis of the world. That's why God would say in James 4.4 that to be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And yet Satan is always trying to fool us into thinking we can have both. We can be sort of a friend of the world and the friend of God. It is impossible because they are antithetical to each other. They're the antithesis of each other. They're opposites. The world hates God and God hates the world. And so the Bible goes on to say further, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What do you love about the world right now? Cut it out. It'll ruin you. I speak from here and I speak from my heart. There is no option in the middle. Amen. 
Amen. The fear of being too extreme is the most ridiculous excuse for carnal living. Run to Jesus Christ and live all out for him and find the greatest peace and happiness and contentment that you've ever had. Godliness with contentment. Can you imagine actually being at peace with everything you have, your wife, your children, your things, your job, your income, your debts? <laughs> you're at peace because you're living a godly life and you're contented. Contentment is the, is the secret to success. But godliness has to precede it or you'll never be content. Godliness with contentment. You play with sin, you can't be godly. You play with sin and you're not godly, you're not going to be content, you're going to be miserable. Frustrated and chased by a monster every day and every night. No peace, no happiness, no fulfillment. Never quite getting there to where you can be happy. Always miserable. What's a holy life? You should all be able to just quote it back to me. Praying, reading, meditating, singing, speaking, fellowship with others who like the same things, and seeking God. Right. You say, if I did that all the time, it'd be so boring. That means you've never tried it. What's a carnal life? A carnal life is working, playing, sleeping, eating, resting, believing the truth, and attending church. That's a carnal life. We have to fight, brethren, to be spiritually minded rather than to be worldly minded. What do you really love? There's nothing better than to talk about God. Yeah. You say, but there's never any happiness in it. Well, what I read in Psalm 126 this morning was people laughing as if they were in a dream. A dream world of laughter. Wow, that really sounds horrible, doesn't it? Really sounds horrible. But a person who is totally at peace with all, a person at peace with all sins confessed, who has drawn nigh to God, and God has drawn nigh to him, and there's nothing separating them, is the greatest peace that you'll ever have. That's right. You can sleep at night with no fear of anything. God is with you. You have the greatest lover in the universe, the Lord himself. You want to love someone? You have the greatest object of love and affection, which is, to be, which is the first commandment. It's loving God. You love God and he loves you back and you're close to one another. You know he approves of everything you're doing and most of what you do has to do with him anyway because he's worthy of it all. You'll be happy with everything else. All of a sudden, the wife starts to look better. The husband becomes quite a charming man. All of a sudden, the, quick, the kids aren't quite so irritating. The pastor isn't quite so boring. The job isn't quite so tedious because you're doing it for the Lord. All of a sudden, life is, this ain't bad. What was wrong with me before? I was so foolish. I was ignorant and stupid like a beast. Is what David said. Asaph, actually, in Psalm 73. By cutting sin out of your life. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, he was talking about a different time, but it certainly applies today. Because iniquity shall abound. Brethren, sin abounds in this country. They entertain off it. Our leaders make a joke of it. Sin abounds in this country. But the Bible tells us when sin abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. That's what I'm afraid of.
your love of God waxing cold. And as that love of God waxes cold, Sodom doesn't seem to be quite so bad. And as the love of God waxes a little colder, getting on the city council at Sodom seems like a, a good idea. It's a noble thing to help out in the local politics. And the next thing is that you're waking up the morning after, you've got a hangover, and you've got two pregnant daughters, and you're in the mouth of a cave, hopeless, because the way of transgressors is hard. Every sin that you commit and allow to remain in your life, I don't care how small it is, I don't care how much you like it, I don't care how hidden it is, Satan sees it, and Satan will use it. The Bible calls it giving place to the devil. And yes, I've preached that to you before. But I'm warning you, brethren, the way of transgressors is hard. And I'm not talking about the great day of judgment. I'm talking about the Lord shall judge his people. Now, the way of transgressors is hard. Every sin that you allow, Satan gets a hold in your family. You turn that television on, why not put a sign outside your door saying, Satan, you're welcome in here. You say, why are you so angry about the television? The greatest mistake I ever made in this path of descent toward Sodom was getting a television. I don't have no doubts about it. It's not because I have something against Duke Power making money off you watching your television or anything like that. The greatest mistake I ever made was getting a television. It has cost me enormously. I wish I could go back and walk into that place where I forget that with an M60 and blow them all to smithereens. But that's not the way to handle it. Do you know the way to handle it? Turn the thing off. Now, I've turned mine off dead. It can't be turned on without some pains. And I'm no hero, brethren. I'm a lost sinner saved by Jesus Christ and by his grace, and the television was the greatest mistake I made. It had the most evil influence in my life and in my family's life. It's just too nice to sit down and let Satan's evangelists come in and give you some passive entertainment. That's what I used to call it, passive entertainment. After working hard, mentally stressed out, you want to just sit down and let it do the thinking for you. And it does. I called it passive entertainment. I was passive, but Satan wasn't. Right. Satan was quite active. He was selling his religion. Every program, every movie, always. Pick the very best movie you can, other than a exceptions that can be listed on one hand. The very best movies. I would love the challenge. Send me an anonymous email from a new Hotmail account you set up so I can't figure out who it is. Send me the movie that you think is, is approved by God. I'll take it apart for you. I enjoy doing that because I love you. I don't care if there is nothing overtly evil in the movie. I condemn it on the authority of God's word because it doesn't make God preeminent. And even if you watch something that doesn't have overt evil in it, if God is not preeminent, it is selling a lifestyle that is unacceptable to God. 
because the only lifestyle acceptable to God is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thou shalt pray every day and read thy Bible every day when thou risest up, when thou sittest down, when thou walkest by the way, when you sit at the table. And no movie ever promotes that. And so you, I don't care how good you think it is, it is not promoting a godly lifestyle. Go ahead, pitch your tent toward Sodom. I'm warning you, and I'm now speaking ironically, but pitch your tent toward Sodom, and you're going to wake up some morning, and I don't know if there'll be a messenger there to say, I have found a ransom for your soul. Brethren, look at 1 Timothy 5. Look at Paul's warning to Timothy. You know that 1 Timothy 5 is the first two-thirds of the chapter is about widows and the treatment of widows. And in verse 11, he begins telling that the young widows ought to remarry, have children, have a house to guide, take care of the house, not to wander about in verse 13, but to be busy, not to be busy bodies, not to speak things which they ought not. He tells them in verse 14 to get married, guide the house, give an occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. This is what I fear, that 15th verse right there, that one little sentence for some are already turned aside after Satan. There are mechanisms as basic and as practical as get the young women and keep them busy. And cut off their opportunities for sin. Now isn't that pretty basic right here? I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. Now, that's pretty practical. But my fear is that 15th verse, I don't want the television or idleness or too much time or Internet availability or anything else to steal the hearts and souls of women, men, young, old, away from Christ to turn them over to Satan. Some... Paul was already telling Timothy in the the churches where the Holy Spirit was so abundantly poured out had already turned aside after Satan. May God help us. Did you know the Bible tells us that we're strangers and pilgrims here? Do you really believe that? We are strangers and pilgrims. We We are the antithesis of the world. I like that. The antithesis of the world. We're strangers and pilgrims. They're going to think we're strange by the way we act and talk and and live. And I hope they do. If they don't think we're strange, guess what's wrong? We're too much like them. And we've got to change. We've got to change more. Evil communications corrupt good manners. I don't care where you're getting the the communication from. It corrupts good manners. Make sure that your families are only getting good communication. That's why I just took my little rabbit trail on those tele- on the television programming or movies that you can't even find anything bad. I don't care if it's G. Do you know who said it was G? It wasn't God. G doesn't stand for godly. G stands for general. And a general audience of this nation is pagan, perverted, and full of sin. Amen. Remember, any time that you come down one notch on the ladder from where God wants us, you're pitching your tent towards Sodom. Lot did it incrementally. I preached a whole sermon on that called Incremental Compromise. I used an overhead for you so that you could get the picture real clear. I drew Abraham and I drew Lot. I drew David when he was the sweet psalmist of Israel and David the conspiring murderer of Uriah the Hittite and the adulterer of his wife. David didn't get there in one great big fell swoop. 
David got there by playing with sin. He bought a television. God's chastening isn't joyous, brethren. It's grievous. The Bible tells us that, therefore, it should be avoided at all costs. The way of transgressors is hard. You're going to have a hard time in this life, naturally, and you're going to have a hard time because God's going to bring his rod down on you. If you simply relax and go with the flow of life, such a pleasant way to live, isn't it? I just flow along, I get up, I go to work, I do my thing. I just relax and go with the flow. There isn't such a thing as a flow. Everybody who works with computers knows there's usually a default program that things revert to when it's not told otherwise. And all of you are pre-programmed with, with a default message and a default manner of living if you're not aggressively overriding it at all times. And the default is sin. Sinful thinking, sinful disposition, sinful approach to life, sinful thoughts. If it's not being constantly overridden with the word of God, confession, prayer, and work. But it's precious work. Because when your heart is right and your thoughts are right and your life is right, you are free. You are free. I met someone this week who told me, I'm so free. Ask me anything. I have nothing to hide. I'm free. And when you can see it on their face, see it in their eyes, and hear it in their voice, and hear the words, it's precious. It's yeah. precious. Very precious. The Bible tells us we're not even to make a provision for ourselves to sin. Don't even allow your families to have the opportunity for sin. That's what the Bible teaches, Romans 13, 14. Jesus Christ was so strict on that point, he said if there's something as valuable as your right hand, just cut it off. There's no sense in keeping your right hand because it's better to go into life with a stub up your sleeve than it is to enter into hell with two full hands. Right. That's what Jesus Christ taught. I want to be as extreme as Jesus Christ. If there's something as precious as your right eye, just pluck it out and get rid of it. You will not know the peace and joy except by obeying by faith. Jesus said, cut it out, cut it out, and see what happens. If you cast yourself on him, he'll give you happiness. At his, in his presence, there is fullness of joy, brethren. That's what Psalm 16 teaches us. Anything short of a prayerful, spiritual, Christ-loving, and sin-hating attitude at all times is carnal living. Let me say that again. Anything short of a prayerful, spiritual, Christ-loving, sin-hating attitude at all times is carnal living. You're heading toward the cave. Each day you make little choices about prayer. I don't have time. i got to get to work on time. Just made a bad choice. Better to get to work late and explain that you had a very important matter come up. Somebody very important came by your house, and you need to talk to them for a few minutes, and therefore you're late. Very Better decision. I didn't have time to read. I didn't really feel like reading. I just needed to turn the television on and do something to relax. Oh, that's how you relax, huh? So you just let down, let your guard down, relax, and let Satan take care of you. But you don't want to go cast all your cares on him and let the Lord take care of you. Every day you make all these little choices about prayer, reading, devotions, television, music. Every time you turn that knob on in your car, 
on your car radio. What are you listening to? What's the purpose of it? What's the effect of it? What's it going to do for you? Is it leading you towards Sodom or away from it? Is the message coming out from those speakers telling you, hate Sodom, hate Sodom, hate Sodom? Or is it the same thing that everybody else on both sides of you on the freeway is listening to as they drive full speed towards Sodom? Jesus Christ doesn't accept anything less than your first love. You know what he said to that church at Ephesus? Because you don't have your first love, I'm going to take your candlestick away. He doesn't accept anything but that red-hot fervor because he doesn't want you either lukewarm or cold. He wants you hot. Brethren, is your soul lean? Are your prayers being hindered? When was the last time you evangelized someone or helped them or saved a soul from sin? I don't mean hell, I mean sin. Do you have no victory in your life? Are you weak and sickly? Are you frustrated and unhappy? You've been playing with sin. And you're on your way to a cave. Set your affection on things above. It's a commandment. Set your affection on things above. Love the things of heaven and of the Lord himself. Love them. Exercise yourself in godliness, doing the basic routine over and over again. It's not a, it's not a grind. It's a pleasant when your sins are confessed. I'll admit, reading your Bible when you have unconfessed sin is not a pleasant experience, and it wasn't designed to be. Right. Reading the Bible when you have unconfessed sin was not designed to be exciting. The flesh knows that, Satan knows that, and the Lord knows that. He doesn't want you coming to him with unconfessed sin. He's already made up his mind. He's going to stop up his ears, and he's going to fold his arms and not do anything for you. You're cut off. He'll turn his face away from you. But if you'll humble yourself, he'll be there. So we need to be praying and reading every day. Repent and do the first works. Remember? That was the, such a simple solution. Every one of you can do this so easily. Remember. Remember from whence thou art fallen. That's what Jesus told that church at Ephesus. Remember what it was like in the good old days? Remember it. Repent that you're not there right now and do the first works of what you were doing back then. The feelings will come with it. Cut off all opportunities for sin. Romans 13, 14, make no provision for the flesh. Choose the righteous acts of a true saint to fill your life rather than anything else. And may God bless us. Brethren, good understanding giveth favor. Do you want a favorable life? Then live by the fear of God and of good understanding. Some of you are sitting here with your minds wandering all about stupid things, and anything but what I'm telling you is stupid. Right. Stupid, vain, you're going to lay in a coffin soon, and there's no hope that you are going to meet God at all. No hope at all. Unless you're living a holy life. Amen. Because the Bible says, without holiness... No man shall see the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12. Yes, we believe in the doctrine of election, but we also believe in making one's calling and election sure. And that is not an easy process because it says to give yourself diligently to that task in Second Peter chapter 1. May the Lord bless us to avoid the way of transgressors, which is hard. May the Lord bless us that there be no lots in this congregation. Amen.